are going to talk about the talking donkey, and it's not me. I want to clarify right now, okay, so you think, oh, it must be him. You know, the Bible is an amazing book because they have all these incredible stories, and you go, really? That really happened? And we step back and we think about something as simple as God somehow working through this world that he created, think, well, I don't know if God could do that. God could create the universe, he could send Christ, he could raise him from the dead, and we wonder about some of the miracles. Do I believe the miracles of the Bible? I absolutely believe the miracles of the Bible. Do I believe the miracles happen today? Absolutely. We see them, we experience them, and we are never satisfied with what God has because we know God has more for us. Amen? God wants to do more than he is doing in our life. I really believe that many of us, maybe all of us, are this close to being blessed. And what happens is we stop short of what God wants to do and how God wants to work in our life. So here's what I want to do. I want to start out with this thought. Remove the barrier that's keeping you from a miracle. I don't know what it is. It might be doubt. It might be God didn't do what I thought he would do in the past, so it's this history thing that you're dealing with. It might be that it's just too big for God. Here's what I've learned. If we keep it small and manageable so we can handle it, God doesn't get involved. God says, you can handle that one. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You take care of that one. And you, when you need me, you call on me and I will be there. So whatever the barrier is, remove the barrier. Number two, you have to bless in order to be blessed. And here's what God has really been showing me over the course of, of really several years. That there is no in-between blessing and cursing. When God spoke to Abraham, he said, I will bless those whom you bless, and I will curse those whom you curse. Now think about it. Where's in-between? In the book of James, it says, out of your mouth comes blessing and cursing, these things can't happen. In, in other words, he says, what, what commonality does light have with darkness? It's one or the other. What we want to say is, well, I'm not going to curse someone, because I don't even know what that means, but I'm certainly not going to bless them because I don't like what they're doing. Did you ever think that blessing someone is not about them, it's about you? You can't afford to think a thought that is not a God thought. You can't afford to harbor a grudge, unforgiveness. You can't try to hurt someone in your speech, in your mind, and in your heart and experience the blessing of God. One of the greatest reliefs you'll ever experience is when that person who comes to your mind that immediately causes your blood pressure to go up, that you immediately feel the pain and the hurt, and you just say, God, I want to bless them. Your emotions will say, there's no way. Just bless them. And I've gone through a process over the last several years of just saying, I'm just going to start blessing the people like that, that come to my mind that I would normally think, well, I wouldn't curse them, but I'm certainly not going to bless them. God says, do you want to be blessed? Then bless. Bless everyone. It goes against the natural tendency of man. I understand. I experienced that too. Here's the third thing. Walk in favor and you will recognize favor. You know what happens is we, we kind of go through life and God does something and all of a sudden we go, I wonder what, that was really neat what God did, 
recognize it as favor. And when you start to see favor, you will recognize favor. In other words, you will look around, you'll begin to see the blessings of God in amazing ways you didn't see before. Because what you're doing is you're getting eyes to see what God wants you to see. And all of a sudden, guess what? Favor starts popping up everywhere you go. Wow, this is a favor of God. This is the favor of God. This is exciting. This is what God is doing in this particular situation. Now, let's talk about the story for today. Let me set it up this way before we read the text. Israel is moving out of Egypt. They're coming into the land. They're now moving into the land of Moab. It will be the final stop before they go into the promised land. And the fame of God is spread throughout the land. In fact, if you can read throughout Scripture, like in, in uh, Joshua chapter 9 and verse 9, it said the Gibeonites heard about Israel, and they could, they could feel the pounding of the ground as these, these hundreds of thousands of Israelites were coming, and they saw the dust, and they knew the miracles. The fame of God had spread, and they became fearful. The same thing happened in Moab, and the Moabites, they heard about it, and so there was a... A, basically a false prophet by the name of Balaam. And so Balak, the king, he goes to Balaam's house and he says, we want you to put a curse on them because they are going to, they're going to consume us. They're going to take over our land. They're going to destroy us. They're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. So they go to, to Balaam and they say, would you put a curse on him? Now, Balaam wasn't a prophet of God. And yet it's amazing that God will speak through him prophecy. He wasn't a Jew, but God will use him to give some of the greatest prophecies to the Jews. And we see here all he really wanted was money. What he was doing was he was motivated by greed and he was trying to find, even though God was warning this guy, he, God kept saying, don't do it, don't do it. But he kept trying to figure out a way he could do it because he wanted to get the gold and the silver. Now let's pick up the story in Numbers chapter 22. And beginning in verse 22, let's look at the scripture and see what it has to say here. Then, all right, and remember, remember, Balaam is pushing ahead. He's trying to make this happen even though God says don't. Then God's anger aroused because he went, and the angels of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now, I want you to stop right there. You see that little phrase, the angel of the Lord? That's what we call a Christophany. That is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. It's interesting about the phrase, the angel of God. Once Christ is born, the angel of the Lord or angel of God never appears in Scripture. He's very unique. In fact, you'll see that we're going to read uh, about this angel of the Lord some seven times in this short little passage because God is trying to make a point. Now, it says, he took his stand in the way as an adversary. Verse 23, and the donkey saw the angel of the, of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyard and the wall on the side of the wall that is on that side of the wall. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Poor donkey. I mean, that's all I'm thinking. This poor donkey. And I'm gonna, you're going to love what's going to unfold here in just a moment. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey 
uh, saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey. Now here's where it gets good. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? This is what I love. Then Balaam said to the donkey, he never stops to go, wait a minute, donkeys don't talk. It gets even better because then the donkey starts using reasoning to talk to Balaam. Now, look at this. This is great. And so Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this? And he said, no. Now, for me, this is just a marvelous, marvelous example of what happens in this spiritual realm that we can't explain. There's no way to explain this. The donkey's trying to keep him from going and getting gold and silver. And let me show you how the donkey's smarter than Balaam. Balaam never stops to think, wait a minute. I don't need the gold and silver. I got a talking donkey. I got to get this donkey out on the road. I got to get him down to Vegas. I got to get this donkey in front of people because this is amazing. Never goes there because his logic is so fuzzy in this situation. And then it says here, verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. He opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell on his face. Now we're going to come back to the rest of this story, but I want you to notice that, that God opened up Balaam's eyes. We call that Revelation. When God begins to show you something in the spirit realm that you didn't see before, God is revealing, God is showing, and he's giving you something you can hang on, something you can rest on. So let me talk a little bit about what revelation is. It is the ability to understand in our human spirit what God is up to, the mystery of God. So here's how it works. When you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to you and he indwells you. That Holy Spirit indwelling you is how you understand the things of God. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't have the leadership of God. You can't understand the scriptures that are given by God. You are really absent altogether from that. Now watch this. Unbelief, unbelief is anchored in what is visible and reasonable apart from God. Unbelief is anchored in what is visible and what is reasonable apart from God. So we'll look at something and we'll say, well, that's not reasonable. I don't think God would work that way. Well, the real question is, what is God, how does God say he works? What are the principles by which God works in our life? Because we want to know those things. We want to get engaged in those kind of things. Doubt, now listen carefully, doubt operates with its own expectations, which are always fulfilled. Doubt operates with its own expectations, which are always fulfilled. If you doubt God can work, you just had an answer to your thought, to your prayer, to your statement. Doubt always operates with its own expectations. I doubt God will work, God doesn't work. I doubt God will come through, God doesn't come through. And then you step back and go, God never comes through. It's because we're operating in this dimension of doubt rather than this, op this dimension of faith. 
Faith is where God wants us to work. The Bible said whatever is not of faith is sin. Now let me explain that because this is really, really powerful when you get it. It's a particular word for sin that means to miss the mark. It was used of an archer who would shoot an arrow and it would fall short of the target. It's not the word that refers to unrighteousness or something evil. It's the idea that you don't get what you're aiming for. When you don't operate in faith, your faith falls short and you miss out on God's best for your life. So what we want to do is we want to operate as if an archer is pulling it, aiming at the bullseye, and I want to hit the target every time. And the only way I can do that is when I operate in this dimension of faith. Also, opening, what, what this revelation does, it opens the natural veil to reveal God's plan to us. You see, we live in this natural world, and everything is kind of like by the five senses. We kind of touch and smell, and we do all those things, and we really, that's what's real. The Bible says we look not to the things which are seen, for they're temporal. We look to the things that are unseen, for they're eternal. You see, what's eternal about you is not that physical body you're walking around in. What's eternal is your mind and your soul and your spirit. That lives on for eternity. This body you carry, this earth suit you have, it's not going to be around for a long time. You're going to get a new suit. You're going to get a space suit, Amen. You see, God's going to do something new and fresh in you, so the eternal is what really counts, and that's where you want to sink down in and, and really let God work in your life in a great way. Now, let's, let's look at this next thing. It is also the ability to peer into the fourth dimension, and I refer to the fourth dimension as the spirit dimension. You have those moments where you start to, to think about Scripture, you read Scripture, and then God shows you something. Let me just take you, if you will, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is a marvelous scripture that, that really opens up this whole principle, beginning in verse 6. It says this, however, we speak wisdom, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. All right, now watch, mature in the faith, I understand the wisdom of God. We speak wisdom to the mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. See, we have a wisdom that's apart from this age, these times in which we live. It's not just a guy who's learned and well-read and kind of got it all figured out. No, this is a wisdom that comes from God. James calls it a wisdom that comes from above. And it says, we speak a wisdom not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So take the most powerful person on earth, take people that speak with great wisdom and say, we have a wisdom that's apart from that. It's better than that because it's God's wisdom. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And this word mystery is not something that's kind of odd and different. No, it's the idea of something not yet revealed, uh, but revealed to you at the right time. We speak this mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now, now listen to that. It didn't say for God's glory. There are plenty of verses about God's glory. This says for our glory. So what does God do? He gives you a wisdom that enables you to understand something that brings back to you glory in this age and in the age to come. God is all about taking care of his children. And if I, if I get the idea that, that everything that happens to me, everything bad that happens to me must be God's way of either punishing me, kind of getting me on the straight path or whatever, then I have this weird view of God. Hey, part of the weird stuff that happens in this world is because this world is weird, right? 
part of the hard things that happens because this world is hard to live. We're not, we're, not, uh, we're not created for time. We're created for eternity. So look what it says here. It says, ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So why did they crucify Jesus? Because they didn't have the wisdom from God. Had they had that wisdom, say, wait a minute, what are we doing? This is the Messiah. This is the, the promise of God. Now, take that, and now let's move into this next chapter in the story of Balaam, chapter 23, beginning in verse 16, and look what it says. Then the Lord met Balaam. The Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth. That's what we call inspiration. It literally means filled with God's spirit, okay? The breath of God. That is what inspiration is. God says, you know what, Balaam? You're a disobedient prophet. If I can make a donkey speak, I can surely make another one speak. So what does he do? He puts the words. Have you ever had that experience where you're talking to someone and you really don't know scripture and you really don't know what to tell them about something and all of a sudden you tell them something, you go, wow, that was, you think to yourself, that was kind of good. You ever had that experience? That's kind of good. And it kind of sounded like something that God might say and it was God putting some words in your mouth. God was giving you some direction. Maybe it was based on scripture, it was based on his spirit, but God was, was working in that situation. So here's what he says, God put a word in his mouth, he said, go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came back to him, and there was standing by the burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him, and Balak said, what has the Lord spoken? He's hoping that as Balaam goes to talk to God, God's going to say, it's okay to curse Israel. That's really what he wants. And then he took up, it says, his oracle, and he said, rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie. He's telling us something here very important about Scripture and about the character of God. God doesn't lie. The promises that God made in Scripture, he made to you. God does not lie. God does not lie nor the Son of Man that he should repent. He has said it and he will do it. Now that is what we call in theology the immutability of God. That's a big word, but here's what it means. It means God doesn't change. Malachi says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I do not change. God loved you yesterday, God loves you today. The God who loves you today will love you tomorrow. He doesn't stop loving you. The God who saved you yesterday is the God who sustains you today and who will bring you to glory in tomorrow. God doesn't change. We change. Change is a creature word. That's what we do. We change. God doesn't change. You can depend on God. What made Jesus so radical and this message of, of Christianity so radical in that first century was all the Romans were accustomed to Greek mythology and the gods were so whimsical, they got in fights, they changed, they died, they got assigned bad jobs and all of those things. And all of a sudden, here comes this proclamation of this Jesus who loved them, who is consistent, a God who doesn't change. And they said, that's the kind of God I want. And that's why Christianity had such a great momentum that God was working in that situation to blow up all the preconceived ideas of what God is like. And guess what? You and I have preconceived ideas of what God's like and what God will do and what God won't do. Let God blow them up. They're not valid. I don't know if God likes me anymore. Blow it up. 
I don't know if God loves me. Blow it up. I don't know if God's going to bless me. Blow it up. I don't know if God will give me favor. Blow it up. Just blow up the stuff that doesn't work. It's not going to bring value to your life. And, and here it says in Numbers, it goes on. Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. Now look at this. Here's this really, this just crooked kind of a prophet who wants money. God puts a word in his mouth. He can't help but speak what God says. He says, I've got a command to bless. Now look at this. This is powerful. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. When God decides to bless you and the ways that God is blessing you, nobody can reverse it. But you cannot enjoy it. You cannot see it and you cannot experience it. Because what happens is we get in the way of what God wants to do. How do you unlock the blessings of God? As I thought about this, I thought, God, you have blessed me in so many ways, and yet, God, there's so many things that probably you wanted to bless me in, but I stood in the way. Jesus said to his disciples, I give you the keys to the kingdom, right? I give you the keys to the kingdom. He didn't say, I give you the key to the kingdom. I give you the keys. There are multiple keys to the kingdom. He says, take this first key, and it's called the, the key into salvation. And I walk through this door of salvation. That's the first key of the kingdom. And then I get in there, and there's a whole series of doors, and says, there's all kinds of other doors, and there's keys there, and you go and you unlock another one, and you go into the presence of God, and you keep going through multiple doors, multiple doors, because there are no limits to the keys that God has given you. There are no limits to what God wants to reveal and what God wants to show and what God wants to bless. But you can stand outside the door and say, I don't really want to use the keys of the kingdom. I'm pretty satisfied with my Christianity the way it is. I'm pretty satisfied with just kind of getting by. I'm pretty satisfied with just going to heaven. Why? Why? Why would we ever be satisfied with just a little bit of what God has to bring to us? So as I was reading, I, I thought about this. Well, how do we unlock it? We listen to God. We listen to God. I had a revelation this week. I either have ADD or I have created it in me. I'm not sure, but I'm convinced that I've got it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm working on my sermon, and I've got my computer open, and I'm sitting there thinking, I've got to check Facebook. I've got to go to Facebook. I mean, what are they going to do if I'm not there interacting with them? So I go to Facebook, and then I'm on Facebook. I go, yeah, nothing going on here, you know, and I'm saying, I better check my email. Well, I have three different email accounts, so I've got to check all three of them. Yeah, nothing happening there, you know, in the world. And so I'm sitting there, I go, oh, I should calculate that, that new loan payment we're going to try to get on the... You know, and I'm going, wait a minute, I'm here during the sermon. Focus, ADD boy. And I thought, how do I get myself? I had to exercise some discipline in my life. Here's what I did. I took out my phone. I put it on airplane mode. Very difficult thing. I don't even put it on airplane mode in an airplane. All right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we're just sneaking around, you know, and, and oh, yeah, here she comes. Quick, put your, hide your phone. But so... I pull it out and I go to my phone. You're just all guilty. That's why you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I go there and I put the timer. 30 minutes, uninterrupted, read and pray scripture. Okay? Now that may not sound like a lot to you, but for ADD boy, that was a lot. So I put it on there and I start and I let it tick down and I'm just thinking, all I'm going to do is focus on this, focus on this, focus on this. So my first technique was use a timer. Go in 30-minute increments. My second one was change locations. 
So what I did was I did some work down in my study, and I said, okay, I'm going to move and do my next 30 minutes up at my desk. My change won't be moving from Facebook to, to email to all this other stuff to what's going outside to birds whistling and squirrels jumping and all that other stuff. And I moved locations, and I said, another 30 minutes. And I realized what I was doing. I was reprogramming my mind. I was retraining the way that I thought, the way that I moved. And then it came to me on this one. Listen to God. Now watch this. Take your Bible. I want to show you something very interesting in the book of Romans, chapter, um, chapter 10. And this is an amazing thought when you really see it. Romans chapter 10, we don't have it on the screen. You need a Bible, bring out your iPhone, bring out whatever you've got to, to look to the Bible. But listen to what it says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now I want to show you two things about that scripture that's really powerful. The first one is this. Faith comes by hearing, present tense, not past. The word, word there is the word rima, a word revealed. When you have a listening heart, you will hear and your faith will increase. You have to slow down long enough to really hear what God is saying. So when you read a scripture, pause long enough and say, I need a word, a hearing word from you right now that I can lock my faith on because a lot of what I've been locking my faith on, and nothing wrong with that, but it's been in the past. I need something today. I need a today verse. So when we're reading this story about Balaam and you're reading along, you want to ask the Spirit of God, would you speak to me from your word about what I need to hear? For example, he might say, you're a lot like Balaam. You're a lot like Balak. You need to not trust in riches. You need to trust in God. You need to let me take care of your future and not trying to engineer and organize all this stuff in your life. If you will trust me, I clothe. I clothe the hills with the lilies of the field. I provide food and shelter for the birds of the air. You need to trust me. And you get a hearing word from God in that moment. And guess what will happen is, as you have a listening heart, your faith will increase. Here's the second thing. Don't resist what God is doing. You see, when God begins to move you and you feel that, that sway of God, that pressure of God, don't say, you know, I'm not sure about that. Tammy was reading a book the other day, and she was telling me about this book, and it was, it was really about toxic thoughts and what we think. And, and she was talking about how we have a mindset, a mindset that, that is either fixed or it's a learning mindset. And I thought, you know, as, as she began to talk, I began to think about in my own spiritual realm, you know, sometimes I can get fixed with the way I think God works instead of a learning mindset of the way God works. And when I begin to talk to other people and they say, well, how does God work? God's working in, wow, that's amazing God's working in that way. I have to be able to understand what God is saying in this scripture and how God works through people. So don't resist what God is clearly doing. Now, here's what's interesting. Remember the children of Israel, they're in Moab. We don't even know where Moab is. We think it's in Utah, right? <laughs> now, there is another Moab, okay? 
And they're in Moab, right on the other side of the Jordan River there. And while they're in Moab, there's a guy named Moses. Remember him? Moses, just a little bit uh, uh, in this kind of same time zone, he's at a place called Kadesh Bardia. Not important that you remember that. It's important you remember what happened there. God had spoken to Moses earlier in the journey, and he said, I want you to go over and strike the rock, and water will come out of the rock. Moses does it. He goes over and he strikes the rock, and water comes out of the rock. He's on this journey, pressure's building, tension's getting high. All these Israelites are saying, are we there yet? And they need water. And God says to Moses, speak to the rock. Not strike it, speak to the rock. You know what Moses does? He goes over and he takes the rod, and he's probably so frustrated, he strikes the rock two times. Water comes out of the rock, and God says, because you are disobedient, you're not going into the land. Sounds kind of harsh. Until you read what Paul says about it in the Corinthians. Paul says that rock was a picture or a symbol of Christ. The first time you struck the rock, it was Christ crucified. Christ does not need to be crucified twice. When you struck the rock the second time, you were saying Christ crucified was not enough, and you struck it. So what does God do? God takes Moses up on a place called Mount Nebo in Moab, in Moab. He lets him look up and down that valley. He begins to see all that could have been his, and Moses dies there, looking into the promised land, but never entering in. You're going to find that Moab is a symbol, it's a picture, it's a type of compromise. It was Balaam who tried to get Israel to compromise. It was Balak who tried to get Balaam to compromise. It was Moses who tried to get God to compromise. And you know what God will do? God will bring you up on a mountain. He'll let you look into the valley of all the blessings. And if you compromise, you'll miss out on what God wants for you. Don't die in the land of Moab. Move into the land of promise where God has for you. You have to acknowledge the blessings of God. I was reading in the book of Jeremiah, and it says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12, write this reference down, it's so good. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. You know what he's saying? I'm ready I'm waiting on you. I'm just waiting on you. Are you going to act? Are you going to move forward and take my word as what it says? I'm ready. Are you ready? You know that every promise of God in Scripture is conditional? God says, if you will, I will. It's called a covenant. God sets up this covenant arrangement with man, and he says, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to set up the conditions of the covenant. If you will keep the covenant, I will do what I say I will do. Let me give you an example. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Psalm 37, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's the condition? You have to seek, you see, you have to seek after that. The Bible tells us that, that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, rather that's Psalm 37, delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Here's the promise you will be saved. Throughout Scripture, God says, if you will, I will. Let me ask you something. Will you say, I will? Let's just say that together. I will. 
A little bit more enthusiasm, I will. You see, when you say I will instead of saying I don't know, I'm not sure, hope it works, you're exercising this this world of doubt, this world of non-faith. You have to say I will, God, I will do what you say because I believe you are the God who wrote the scriptures, who, who established my faith and who will take me through to the very end. I will, God. I will follow you, I will trust you, I will walk with you. If things go up and down and around and around, I'm still gonna trust God because God is worthy of our trust. We have to unlock the blessings of God. How do you do that? You declare in order to establish. You declare in order to establish. You let the words of your mouth be powerful. You know how God created the heavens and the earth? By the word of God. By the word of his power, he spoke the world into existence. We have to speak. God has given us this capacity created in his image. Look what it says in Job chapter 22. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. You ever notice how when you you just take it, you just say, we're going to do that. Somehow you find a way to do it. Well, we're going to do that. How are you going to do it? I don't know, but we're going to do it. We're going to find a way to do that. And all of a sudden, things start to come together. You say, well, how did that work? Because when you establish a thing, it begins a process. There's a mysterious process that begins to work in your life and in this world we live in, and you will be established in that thing that you say. What if you say something negative? It's established. You declare a thing. Well, God God is not going to come through. Established. You've just established it. You've set a pattern, you've set a tone, and it's not going to work. Watch the words of your mouth. Watch the words of your mouth. Remember, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I think I'm dumb. I am. I think I'm smart. I am. I remember growing up, there was a, my best buddy down the street had a little sister. I may have told this story, but it's a good one. Had a little sister who was not pretty. She was, no, there's nobody on earth that had thought she was pretty. Hold on. This story gets good. Don't throw me out yet. But her parents thought she was pretty. Even, I think, her brother might have thought she was pretty. And guess what? More importantly, she thought she was pretty. Now, she was about two to three years younger than me, and I remember the moment it happened. I'm sitting in class, I'm looking over at her, and the thought crossed my mind, she's pretty. I'm thinking, what happened? I know this girl's not pretty. Now, all of a sudden, I want to go out with this girl that's not pretty. (laughs) What changed? Me or her? Her perception of herself influenced me. It influenced me to the place to where my entire perspective on her changed. The girl always had a boyfriend. The girl had more dates than she knew what to do with. It was a mystery. (laughs) I even wanted to go out with her. How does that happen? You do the same thing to yourself. You live in this reality that's not true. You live in this world and you beat yourself up and you can't understand why you're not happy. You have to start telling yourself, 
I am filled with joy. I am experiencing the happiness of God. God's blessing and God's favor is on me, and I will walk in it because I am a child of the living God. Amen? I am a, I am a member of God's family. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I am like a royal diadem in the, in the hand of my God, and he turns me every way that he will. In fact, God took all of my sins. He put them behind his back. He buried them in the bottom of the ocean. He called me to be an ambassador. He called me to be a son. He called me to be a child. I am blessed of God. Would you just say with me, I am blessed of God. Just say it with me. I am blessed of God. Now live that out and enjoy that. Speak the right words. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. What are you giving out? Life, death. Life, death. You ought to just be life, life, life. Somebody starts to bring death in, just bring life in. Just bring life in. If you can't change them, walk away. You can't, because you know what? They will bring you down. You do all you can to speak life, and if you can't, then escape. Run fast. Because you've got to live above the line of death. You've got to live in this life world. During this miracle campaign, we're throwing our faith on the line. I don't know how on God's earth we could ever raise $2 million. I really don't. Natural Phil says, you can't. You said, if, if God doesn't come through, we can't even take a big bite out of that apple. You know what? My job is just to believe God. I might look like a fool at times, but I'd rather be a fool for God than fool for Phil or somebody else. Amen? We believe that God loves when his children push beyond the normal limits of faith. You know, sometimes we're afraid to take a big step because we think, well, what if God doesn't come through? That's God's problem. That's not my problem. God says, believe me, speak to mountains and throw them into the sea. I said, okay, God, I'm going for it. If you don't, it's on you. God says, I can handle it. I can handle that. Together, we will seize the moment and we will walk as a church in the miracles of God that he has prepared for us. We're going to reject doubt as a waste of time and a waste of energy. Waste of time, waste of energy, amen? Why would you want to live in doubt? It just drains you. Yeah, have you ever talked to somebody just living down all that? Well, I just don't know. You know, I don't know what God's going to do. And you're going, oh, man, I don't want that God. Well, I don't know what God that one is, but i got to get a new one. <laughs> Amen? You know, or somebody says, you know, they're just so negative all the time. You say, you know, I'm a Christian. Well, don't tell anybody, please. You know, protect them from that. But you see, it's time to renew our faith. It's time to stir up our hearts for God. Every significant vision that God bursts in you is going to put your courage to a test. It will test you from every direction. But we're not going to take the path of least resistance nor shy away from the clear declaration of the word of God. We're going to see God work in us and through us for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. Protect, protect God's anointing on your life. Protect it. God's presence on your life. 1 John says we have an anointing from the Father. Protect it. Protect it. Build whatever walls around it you need, but you protect your heart. Proverbs says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Protect it. Remember this, God's promises to you are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. 
God does not pull them back. God pushes them forward. He doesn't pull them back. He pushes them forward. You say, God, I'm going to take your blessings. What you've blessed cannot be unblessed. So I'm going to walk in the blessings of Almighty God. Amen? Let me, let's just stand together if you would. There's a song that we're going to, to lead you in right now called Oceans. And it goes like this. There's a, a line in it. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Now think about that. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk on the waters. Whatever border you've put up that prevents faith, would you just go beyond that? Would you step over that line? As we lead you through this worship song, there's going to be an opportunity for you to to take communion. Actually, there are tables in all four corners now. So I think that'll help you in maneuvering a little bit. So as God leads you, just move to one of those four spots, whichever's closest to you. You might make your way over to the cross and put a prayer request on there if God has laid something on your heart. Let this be a time where God really just begins to stir in your heart. Take that resistance maybe, that that barrier of faith and just push beyond it.